Amen. How many of you have had a sweet day in the Lord today? Amen. You know, even when we have trials, even when we have tribulations and struggles, and even when it's a hard day, as long as it's a day with Jesus, we should consider it a sweet day. Man, I don't know how people without God make it sometimes. I don't know how they make it through the things that this world just brings upon them, but I'm glad that we have Jesus today. I'm glad that we have an opportunity to be back in the house of the Lord. I'm grateful for all of those of you that are here, and I pray that you've come to receive another word from the Lord. Tonight we are going to look at uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Again, you can put up the first slide. It's a prodigal son, part five. Uh, probably finish up tonight. Uh, but I want to go ahead, as always, before we bring the word and go to the Lord in prayer. Because as always, I need his anointing. I think Sunday kind of wore me out, so I need a double touch tonight uh, for uh, my voice to make it through the evening. I feel good. Uh, especially because I know the Holy Spirit is with me, but I pray that he be with me and with you, that we receive everything he has to say. Father, we thank you once again that this is the day that you've made. So, God, we do take the time to rejoice in it. We're glad in it, Father God. I'm thankful that we haven't gathered here alone. We haven't gathered here in the name of some false God, but we have gathered together in the name of Jehovah God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God, the only living God. And I pray that that spirit, Father, of the living God would be upon us tonight. It would be upon me to bring forth your word and upon your people to hear the word and receive it. And then ultimately for all of us to do it. I pray that you would just be glorified in our midst tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to finish up our series. That's my hope tonight. I believe we will. On the prodigal son and, and look a little bit again at what leads to revival in our lives. Uh, because like I said last week, I think I said it last week, was that if anyone needed a revival in his life, it was the prodigal son. If anyone needed a personal restoration of his soul and needed for his relationship with his father to be renewed, it was the prodigal son. If there was anyone, there's a lot of people in scripture, but if there's anyone that needed to turn away from their wickedness, it was the son. If anyone needed uh, the love of his father, it was the prodigal son that walked away. And like I preached last Sunday or this past Sunday, if there was ever a church generation that needed a revival, needed to be restored, needed to be renewed, it's the church generation of today. And the truth is, church, that we as a church are holding a revival next week starting this Sunday uh, because our affection... Uh, has grown cold because not all of us, but the church in general, the church across the land, our affection has grown cold and because many have grown complacent in their walk and in their relationship with God. Because many have an estranged relationship or a strained relationship with the Father. And many of us, like the prodigal son, have left our first love. And because of that, God is calling us to return. He's calling us to a revival. He's calling us to a restoration and a renewal. Uh, the, the, the fact is that, that church, this church needs a revival uh, because some of us have wandered away 
from some of the things that we used to do, from some of the affections we used to have, from some of the things we we used to do. So that's one of the reasons why the church is having revival. And that's what revival is, church. It is the renewal of something that has died. It is the renewal of something that has waned. It's the renewal of something that has grown cold or complacent. Webster's defines revival as this, as a return to... Or a coming back into usefulness after a decline, after a descent, or after a fall. And, and what I want you to understand, church, is that you and I shouldn't wait until we fall. We shouldn't wait until we find ourselves in a pig pen before we ask God for revival. We shouldn't wait until we yoke ourselves to some stranger in some far-off land before we ask God for a revival. The reality is that... We don't, we don't have to be a household full of, of vile, wicked sinners in order to need revival. The only thing that we need for revival is to understand that we've grown cold and understand that maybe we've grown complacent. You see, this is, as soon as you notice a spiritual decline, or I notice a spiritual decline in my life, guess what? I need a revival. As soon as you start growing cold in your prayer life, you need a revival. As soon as you start growing cold in the, in the, the word life. You need a revival. As soon as you start feeling yourself growing cold in worship and you just can't seem to sing and you just can't seem to clap and you just can't seem to find a dance, guess what? You need a revival. It doesn't mean you're filled with sin. It doesn't mean you're vile and wicked. It just means you need a revival in your soul because something has grown cold and something has grown complacent because the devil in the world has made their way in and, and caused your spiritual disciplines to wane. This is why we need a revival. Pastor hasn't called a revival because he's saying the house of God is filled with wicked sinners. It's because he has noticed a a complacency. And he realizes that we need to, before we fall, call God, uh, call on God so that we might have a revival in our life. So again, the definition of revival, I want you to get it, is a coming back into usefulness after a decline, a descent, or a fall. It's exactly what the prodigal did. It's exactly what we must have to do as well. We must come back into usefulness for the kingdom. And if you write down anything, I want you to understand this tonight, that that revival comes so that we might once again be useful to the kingdom of God. And I want you to realize that we we need revival because the house of God has grown cold and complacent. We need revival because we are losing our usefulness, church, not just here at South Metro Ministries, but we're losing our usefulness in the workplace and in the schools and in, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in the surrounding areas and in our communities. This is why we need revival, because we are losing our usefulness. Let me ask you, do you think the prodigal son was useful to the father while he was wandering in his own ways? Do you think that he was useful to his father's household while he was doing what was right in his own eyes, when he was following his own path? Do you think he was useful to the father when his heart grew cold and complacent toward the things of God and towards the house of God and even towards his responsibilities? The answer is no. He wasn't useful to his father when he was living in sin. He was not useful when he was out there in the world yoked, yoked to a stranger. He wasn't useful, nor can we be, church. He wasn't. As soon as the prodigal son turned his back on his father and walked away, he was no longer useful. 
He did nothing to benefit his father's household while he was away. You read the scripture. He did nothing to benefit his father while he was away, while he was doing what was right in his own eyes. He added no value to his father's household. He brought no help to his father's household. He bore no burdens in his father's household. He he accomplished no goals in his father's household. He completed no tasks for his father while he was away, while he was yoked to a stranger. He was no longer useful to the father. Listen, he was missed tremendously, but he wasn't useful. He was his father's son, but he wasn't useful. He was loved tremendously by the father, but he wasn't useful to the father. And this is what we have to understand. And I hope you realize this because when God calls us to revival, it's not just so we can feel good. And I want us to feel good. I want us to get excited. I want our emotions and our mind and our body and our spirit to be touched. I want us to have a dance. I want us to have a shout. I want us to, to, to say it was good to be in the house of God. Listen, if, you, if revival comes and you walk out and, you, and your whole being hasn't been touched, you haven't really had revival. When we have revival, I want us to walk out and say, yes, it was good to be in the house of God. This is what we need. But, but revival comes, church, not just so we can feel good. It's not just just so we can be restored to the Father, even though we need to be restored to the Father. It's so that we might be useful to the Father once again. And I hope you grasp this because everything about our spiritual life boils down to one thing about the father. It boils down to the kingdom. It boils down to whether or not we're doing something for God or not. It's not about us. It's about God. It's not about us. It's about the father. You see, when Jesus came onto the earth, there was nothing. It was nothing about him. Everything he said, the father told him to say. Everything he did, the father told him to do. He came for one reason and one reason only. It was to bring glory to the Father. That's why we need revival, so we can bring glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's why we need revival, so that the Father is glorified. It's so that we might be useful once again, so that we might add value to the kingdom of God, to the house of God and the family of God. We need revival so that we might once again be able to bear one another's burdens in love, so that we might be able to restore those that have fallen in a spirit of gentleness because we ourselves have been restored. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because it's not about us. It's about the kingdom of God and the family of God. We need revival so that we might once again complete some tasks and bring some benefit back to the kingdom of God and to the house of God. You see, when we walk away, we, we bring no benefit to the Father, no benefit to the kingdom of God. This is why, this is one of the main reasons He wants us to experience revival, so we can be of a benefit to the household of God. He calls us to revival, listen, because at the time He calls us, we're not useful. I want you to think about that. He calls us to revival because when he does, we're not being useful. We're not useful to the kingdom, not useful to the Father. That's why in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, God says to the church, Remember from where you have fallen and return and do the things you did at first. Because they had fallen away from the things they had done. Because they had neglected the things that they had done. Because they had grown cold and complacent. And God said, I want you to return and do the things you did at first. Because right now, you're not useful. 
Right now I can't use you. Right now you're not bringing glory to the Father. Right now you're not making a difference in the kingdom of God. Right now you're not having an impact in the world. Right now, he was saying, you're not feeding the hungry. Right now you're not clothing the naked. Right now you're not going out into the highways and the byways and making a difference in the world. Right now... Right now, Jesus said, you're not answering the high call of Jesus Christ upon your life. Right now, he was saying to the church, you're not serving and you're not sacrificing. You're not healing and you're not helping. You need a revival, he was saying. You need to return and do the things you did at first because when you were doing them, you were making a difference. Because when you were doing them, you were helping the kingdom. Because when you were doing them, you were glorifying the Father. And now I want you to return and do the things you did at first. Why do you think the devil comes into your life and tries to get you so distracted and so disrupted and so disoriented and so discouraged and so depressed? It's so you will no longer be any of, be of any use to the kingdom of God. It's so you can't accomplish the high call of Christ upon your life. Don't think that revival is just so we can get excited. It's not. It's so we can have an effective, uh, an effectiveness on the kingdom of God so we can be useful in this world. The excitement and the jumping and the dancing, it's all a byproduct of knowing, knowing that we are in right relationship with the Father. It naturally comes. You don't have to drum it up. It's just going to fall on you. And this is what we're praying for when we come into the revival next week, that we become useful to the kingdom of God once again. I know it might sound hard. I know it might sound mean or even unkind for the, for the Father to say, you're not useful to me. But, but it's the truth. I know it might be hard, but when we walk away from the Father, we are of no benefit to Him. We are of no use to Him when we walk away from the house of God. It amazes me sometimes, church, how many people walk away from the house of God We're in the midst of the most of their trouble. They're in the midst of all sorts of trouble. Hell breaks loose in their life and they walk away from the house of God. I, I, I don't, I've never been able to grasp that. I've never been able to understand that. When they need it the most, they walk away. There was ever a time that the prodigal son needed his father, needed to go home. It's while he was in the pig pen. We're going to look at that because he finally made his way home. But Jesus calls us to revival or God calls us to revival because right at that moment that he calls us, we're of no use to the kingdom. Therefore, whenever the church is in a spiritual decline... Whenever God looks down upon his people and he begins to see that they're slumbering and he begins to see that they're sleeping, he calls the church to revival. He tells them, like I said on Sunday, it's time to wake up. He tells them, like I'm telling you tonight in Revelations chapter 2 verse 5, that you've got to return and do, start doing the things that you did at first. See, he calls us to revival, church, not just to return, but to return to a place of usefulness to the Father. It's exactly what the prodigal did. He returned to usefulness, and we're going to look at it. He set aside his pride like we've looked at over the last several weeks, and he returned to the Father. And when he returned, he was willing to return to a place of usefulness as a servant, the Bible says. As an individual that was willing to do the the will of the Father instead of his own will, that was willing to do what the Father wanted him to do instead of what he wanted to do, he returned to a servant to be used. One of the greatest reasons the church experiences a spiritual decline, 
I believe one of the greatest reasons that the church experiences a, a spiritual descent and sometimes even a great fall is when the people are not willing to be used. It's when the people are not willing to serve. It's when the people are not willing to consecrate themselves to God and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. Whatever you want me to say, I'm going to say. Wherever you want me to go, I'm going to go. However you want me to serve, I'm going to serve. It might not be up behind the pulpit. I might not get a lot of recognition. Nobody might ever see me do it, God. But whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. That's when we become useful to the kingdom of God. That's when revival is going to take place. When the people of God and the children of God and the sons and daughters of God know that they are part of the body of Christ and they say we've got to work and serve and to become a servant for the kingdom of God in order for the world to be changed. This is what revival is all about. Revival, like I said, is not just for us. It's so that we can reach out and change this world. It's so that souls can be saved and and individuals can come back into right relationship with God. Don't come to revival thinking it's all about you. Don't come to revival thinking, God, it's only me that need a touch. It's only me that needs to jump. It's only me that needs to sing. We need to come to to the revival expecting God to touch us so that we might touch others. So that He might fill us. So that we might fill others. You see, God doesn't want us to be spiritual gluttons that just come in and say, Oh God, just bless me and I'll keep it all to myself. You see, God's tired of that. God God passes by those people anymore. I believe with all of my heart that God is looking for individuals. He's going to pour out His Spirit and He's going to pour out His power and He's going to pour out His blessings on the individuals that know that when they get it, they're going to give it back out. That they're going to make a difference in the world because that's what true revival is, church. This, this prodigal was willing to go back to the father. When he went back, he said, make me a servant. He said, make me a servant. Make me like one of your servants. Make me like one of your workmen. And I, you and I need to understand when we come into the presence of God, that's the attitude we have to have. That's the spirit we have to have. When we've been cold and when we've been complacent, when we've been wandering, when we've been doing our own things and we want to come back into the presence of God, we better be willing to come back as a servant. We better be willing to say, God, make me nothing. Make me like one of your slaves. I I, I want to be useful. You see, the servants were the ones that were used To do the things around the house. The servants were the ones that were used to do things around the kingdom. Everyone else just got to enjoy it. God is saying, if you're going to be part of this kingdom, you need to be a servant. Because the greatest among you will be the one that is the least. And this is what we have to understand, church. Please note, if you want to experience revival and renewal, start doing some kingdom work. If you want to experience revival and renewal in your life, start doing some kingdom work. Go serve in a soup kitchen. Go give some clothes to the needy. Go go visit the elderly that are in a, a nursing home. Go to a hospital and lay your hands on some individuals that are sick. Go cut some grass for somebody that needs to have their grass cut. Go bring food to somebody that doesn't have any food. If you want to experience revival in your life, start doing some kingdom work. This is what God is looking for. This is the heart that God wants to see. He's not interested in the individual that comes to church and just gets blessed. And like I said, not willing to give anything out. If anything needs to 
to be revived. That's what needs to be revived. Because the house of God is filled with spiritual, I want to say slobs. They just love to, 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 to consume, but don't love to give out. And God's looking for that individual that's willing to be like Christ and go out and do the things that no one else is doing. This is what God has called us to do. If you want to experience renewal, start serving. No, the son left his father's house full of selfishness, but he came back as a servant. He left his father's house in pride, but he came back as a servant. He left his father's house through the doorway of rebellion, but when he came back, he came back through the doorway of humility, and he came back through the the doorway of servanthood. You see, this is the doorway that every single one of us have to be willing to enter into when we come either for the first time to Jesus Christ or when we come back to him the second time or the third time, because thank God we can do that. God's a merciful God and he's a gracious God. But no matter whether it's the first time you come back or the second time you come back or the seventh time you come back, when we come back, we must come back to the doorway of humility and we must come back to the doorway of servanthood. There is no other way to God but through that door. The Bible tells you that there is one gate, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate form of humility. And if you want to be a part of the sheep, you got to come through the doorway of Jesus Christ. That was the doorway of humility. Anyone else that tries to come any other way, the Bible rejects. God rejects. Jesus rejects. You can't climb over the fence. You can't come in through the back door. You can't tunnel under the gate. You can't tunnel under the gate. You gotta go through the gate and the doorway of humility. This is how we find revival in our life. The pride, the proudful person, it will never experience revival. They'll never experience renewal. They'll never experience a right relationship with the Father. We've got to come through the doorway of humility. It's what the prodigal son finally was willing to do. Make me. Make me like one of your servants. I hope that's your prayer. I hope that's your heart. That you're willing to say to God tonight, when all is said and done, and we close out in prayer, God, make me a servant. Because all I want to do is be useful to the kingdom of God. I want you to know tonight, church... He returned to a place of usefulness even after a great decline. After everything that he did, after all of his sin, after all of his wickedness, after everything that he had done and said, after turning his back on the Father, he still returned to a place of usefulness even after a great decline. And I want you to know tonight that no matter how far you have fallen, how far you have walked away, how rebellious you might have become. I want you to understand that no matter how great a spiritual decline you may have experienced or be even experiencing now in your life, you can still become useful to the Father. You can still be useful to the kingdom of God. You can still benefit the house of God. All you have to do, like the prodigal, is turn away from the pig pen and set your face to the Father. All you have to do is repent and return to a place of usefulness in the household of God. That's where we ended last week. When the prodigal finally got up, when he broke the yoke of slavery that had been upon him. Because like I said last week, listen, we can confess our sins all day long. But until we're willing to get up, until we're willing to break that yoke... Until we're willing to separate ourselves from the foreigner that we have attached ourselves to, like the prodigal son did, church, revival will never come into our lives and we will remain useless to the Father and useless 
to the kingdom of God. The son got up because he had come to the realization that he could not build a successful future on slop. He came to the realization that he could not build a successful future among the pigs. He came to the realization that he couldn't build a successful future on sinking sand. He came to the realization that he could not, he could not build a successful future while he was yoked to a stranger and while he was touching unclean things. The ultimate, the ultimate sign of uncleansliness, if you don't remember church, was pigs. It was pork. Where did he end up? He ended up in the most unclean of unclean places there could. There could be. But I want you to realize that even though he fell that far, he still became useful to the father once again. Because he got up. He realized that he could not be successful while he was yoked to all the things of the world. And neither can we. We cannot be unequally yoked in any relationship and expected to be fruitful and useful to the kingdom of God. You see, when God ordains a relationship and he brings it together, he brings a relationship together so that relationship can be useful to the kingdom of God. So it can have an effect on other couples and other relationships. So other individuals can look at that relationship and say, look, I want to be like that. I want to be that. That's why God says, don't be unequally yoked. Because when you are, you're of no use to the kingdom of God. You can't be fruitful and you can't be useful. You can't be unequally yoked in a business and expected to be blessed by God or a blessing to God. It can't be. We need to understand the word of God when he says, don't be unequally yoked. That's what it means. It doesn't mean we can negotiate around it and compromise around it and pretty it up and do all sorts of other things. And then all of a sudden it'll be acceptable. No, it won't. Well, I'll witness it to him every day, God. I'll witness to him. I'll reach out. I know I'll change him. No, that's not what God said. He said, don't be unequally yoked. Because if you yoke yourself to someone that's not clean, that's not saved, that's not righteous, you're of no use to the kingdom of God. It can't be fruitful. It can't be. Not because I said it, because God said it. Can't be. God's not a liar. God can't deny himself. When he says something, he means what he said, and we need to learn to obey it. Look, we cannot be yoked to this world and expect to find spiritual blessings in our life or expect to be useful to the Father. Prodigal son came to the realization that the only time he was successful, the only time he was useful in the whole life you read about him, the only time he was blessed and useful, the only time he was fruitful and useful was when he was yoked to his father, when he was yoked to the household of faith. I I hope you get this, and I'm glad you're all here, but the ones that aren't here on Wednesday night, they need to hear this even more. Because when you, listen to me, when you yoke yourself to the house of God, you're going to be blessed. When when you yoke yourself to the Word of God, you're going to be blessed. When you yoke yourself to the things of God, you're going to be blessed. When you yoke yourself to the prayer closet, when you yoke yourself to to worship, when you yoke yourself to, to fasting, when you yoke yourself to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, when you yoke yourself to discipleship classes and Sunday school, when you yoke yourself to Christian radio, that's good Christian radio, be careful what you listen to. But when you yoke yourself to the things of God, you will be blessed. This is what we need to learn with this. And this is why I said earlier, it surprises me and amazes me why when people need the the house of God the most, they won't yoke themselves to it. 
They won't yoke themselves to prayer, to the, to the house of God, or to the things that they need to, to bring blessings into their life. And then you know what happens? They blame God. They get bitter. And they, and then the only thing that they, the only thing that they want and that think will make a difference, if the pastor would just call me, if somebody would just reach out, everything's gonna, and that's not true. If you want blessings in your life, yoke yourself to the things of God. You're here, so I know I'm preaching to the choir. You've yoked yourself to the right things tonight. But see, when I speak to you, I hope to give you word that you can speak to other people. Every time I speak to you, you know what one of my prayers is? That you have an opportunity in the relationships and the acquaintances that you have to share the gospel that you've been shared with. That you have an opportunity... To preach from your pulpit the things that God needs those people you know to hear. The prodigal son was the most fruitful when he was yoked to the father. That's what he realized. So he got up and came to his dad, the Bible says. That's where we left off in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. It says he got up and came to his father. Now, I don't want to get too teachy here, but I want you to, I want you to learn this. Your text... It might say he returned to the father in verse 20. It might say that he went to his father. It might say there are several things that it might say. He he went back to his father. But the original text in the Greek means that he came to his father as if he were responding to a call. And I'm going to teach you what this means. And and, and it, it just blessed my soul the more I studied it and the more I understood what was going on in this passage of Scripture. It meant that he came to his father as if he were responding to a call, as if someone were calling out his name, as if someone sent him a personal invitation to come. It's like you know of a party that's going on. And when that invitation comes, you know you can go. You know you've been invited. You know you're going to experience some good food and fun and fellowship. You see, you, this is what was going on here. It was just like Peter when he was on the boat with the other disciples and Jesus came to them on the water. And the storm was going on and there was all sorts of stuff. They were, they were afraid. They thought Jesus was a ghost. And Peter said, this is the same terminology. Peter said to Jesus, if it be you, bid me to come. If it be you, Jesus, invite me to come. If it be you, call my name. And it's exactly what Jesus did. He said, Peter, come. He said, Peter, I'm calling your name. He said, Peter, I'm inviting you into my presence. And this is exactly what it means right here. He went to his father as if someone were calling out his name. Because no one comes unless they are bid. No one comes unless they are called. No one comes unless they have received a personal invitation. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6 verse 44, no one comes To me. No one comes to me. No one comes to repentance. No one comes into a relationship with me unless the Father bid them. 
unless the Father call them, unless the Father invite them. I hope you understand what I'm saying here, church, because what this is telling me is that while this young man was playing with the pigs, while this young man was living in darkness, while this young man was sleeping with hookers and prostitutes, while this young man was getting drunk and doing what was right in his own eyes, God's love kept calling out his name. While he was doing the the deeds of darkness, God's mercy kept calling out his name. I don't know what his name was. The Bible doesn't say it. You want to know why? Because in the same way, when I was lost in my sin, God kept calling out the name of Jeff Merriman. When my brother Willie was lost in darkness, God's grace and God's mercy kept calling out his name. We don't have a name because we're all this son. It didn't say a name because we are are the ones that needs God's grace and God's mercy to call us home. I hope you understand the depth. I hope you understand uh, just the awesomeness of what's taking place in this in this thing. When the prodigal as far off as the prodigal son wandered, his father's love kept calling him home. His father's love kept calling out his name. His father's love kept inviting him back. And listen, I said it before, while you and I were walking in our own ways, while you and I were cheating and stealing, and I'm not saying we all were, but we were all sinners saved by grace. While we were sleeping around, while we were doing dirty business deals, while we were doing drugs or drinking alcohol, while we were living in darkness, while we were satisfying the lust of the flesh and doing whatever pleases me, when if it felt good and I did it, I want you to know, in your place of darkness, God kept calling out. In my place of darkness, God kept calling out. He didn't give up. He didn't give in. He just kept calling out our name. Until somewhere in the midst... Of that mess that we were in, the voice of God's grace made its way into our life. We heard it as a little whisper. We heard it as something little faint. But somewhere in your life and my life, the voice of God's grace fell upon the soil of our soul. And we came home. Amen. Hallelujah. This is so awesome when I read this. Because I realized that son was me. I realized that I was the one that needed the grace and goodness of God upon my life. And somewhere I heard it. Somewhere I heard it. Somewhere I felt it. And I knew it was time to come home. And this is exactly what happened with the prodigal son church. Somewhere in the midst of his mess, he heard the father crying out, It's time to come home, son. It's time to make your way back, son. So he came. This is, this is just unbelievable to me. Jesus, listen, Jesus was God's grace made flesh. And in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it tells us that Jesus, who is God's grace made flesh, is continually making intercession for us. What that means, like I just said, he's always continually calling out the name of Pastor Jeff Merriman. He's continually calling out the name of Daryl. He's continually calling out the name of Willie. He's continually calling out the name of Joan or of any, every one of us in this room. He is continually calling out our name before the Father. Continually. That's what he's doing right now. 
It's what Jesus is doing even while I'm standing here. He is kneeled before the Father, continually making intercession on our behalf. He's calling out the name of your son and your daughter. He's calling out the name of your husband or your wife. He's calling out the name of your brother or your sister, your aunt or your uncle, your nephew or your niece. He's calling out the name of your grandfather. He's calling out the name of your lost loved one. He's calling out the name of your boss and he's calling out the name of your neighbor. He's calling out the name of his creation so that they might find their way home. This is what we need to understand. He is continually calling out our name. And in the same way, church, the prodigal came to his father because his father never stopped calling. And here's what I want you to They didn't have phones back then. The prodigal son came to his father because the prodigal son never stopped praying. Because the, I mean, the, the father never stopped praying. The prodigal came because the father never stopped praying. Because the father never stopped making intercession for his son. Because he never stopped calling out his son's name before the throne room of God's grace. So that his son might find help in his time of need. You see, when we go boldly before the throne room of grace, the Bible says you're to come boldly before the throne room of grace so that you might find help in your time of need. Sometimes you got to go to the throne room of grace so your loved ones can find help. In their time of need. I promise you while this prodigal son was flopping around in the slop. The father was on his knees and he was calling out the name of his son. I promise you that while he got a report that his son was sleeping around with hookers. The father got on his knees and he kept calling out the name of his son. God, I'm lifting you before his throne. God, I pray that you would just one day soften his heart. God, I'm lifting him up. God, I'm praying for him. God, I'm trusting in you. No matter how desperate the situation looks. God, I believe you're going to bring him home, that that voice of grace will one day touch the soil of his soul and he'll return and respond to that voice. And it happened. I want to encourage you tonight that if you have an unsaved loved one, if you have a son or you have a daughter that's lost and, and wandering in darkness, if, if, if you've got a loved one that has uh, uh, yoked themselves to the wickedness of this world, don't stop calling out their name. Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop intervening for them. Don't stop interceding for them. Don't stop lifting up their name before the throne room of God's grace. Because one day they will come home. One day. Listen. If you're not calling out their name, they're not going to come home. You see, the reality is so often we think we got to preach at our kids and we got to shove it down their throats and we got to rebuke the stuff that they're doing. Sometimes if it's in your household, there's some things that you need to rebuke. But I want you to understand if they're out there in the world, there's only one person that's going to bring them home. And that's the spirit of the living God. That's it. Sometimes we get in the way, we preach out and we condemn them. We think if we make them feel bad enough, maybe they'll turn from their wicked ways and they'll come home. That's not biblical. You start lifting them, keep lifting them, put them before God, call out their name. I'm not, call out their name and I mean it. You speak their name and call them out before God and God will bring them home. He's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. When he promises, he fulfills. When he speaks, he acts. And when he tells us to do this, he will honor his word. And they will come home. Just call out their name. Lift them up. And don't forget to do it on a regular basis. Understand, it doesn't matter how low we fall. It doesn't matter how far away from God we run or how lost we might become. The grace of God is forever calling us home. It's forever calling us home. 
It's forever calling us to come. I hope you realize that the voice of God's grace reaches even into the pig pens of life. It reached the prodigal son there. Look at your own life and remember how far the voice of God reached. Remember how far the voice of God reached. There's no place that the voice of God's grace cannot reach. There's not a single place that the grace of God cannot touch. He's calling us to come. In Revelations 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. And whosoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him come and take of the free gift of the water of life. Jesus himself said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Go ahead and put on the music. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. You see, what Jesus is saying is that as long as you're yoked to someone besides me, you're going to struggle. You're going to have a hard time. You're never going to be able to plow a straight path. And I don't want to get way too far off. But any of you that have done farming, you know. If you got some things that are unequally yoked, you, you, you put one, one here and one there, you put a donkey and you put a, you put a bull, it's unequally yoked. They'll pull against each other. So what Jesus is saying is if you would just break that yoke of whatever you're, if you break that yoke of slavery and yoke yourself to me and learn from me, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be okay. You're going to experience revival and restoration in your soul. You're you're not going to decline. You're not going to grow cold. You're not going to grow complacent. It just depends on who you're yoked to. It's exactly what happened to the younger son. He was weary. His soul was heavy laden. I want you to think about him. His soul was heavy laden. He couldn't find rest for his body, his mind, or his spirit, church. And in the midst of his lack, in the midst of his hunger... In the midst of his poverty and his personal pain, the voice of God's grace began to break through. And when it did, the Bible says he came to his father. He came to his senses and then he came to his father. And of all the things that he had to experience, all the things he had to do to experience restoration, of all the things that he had to do to experience a revival of his soul, I believe this was the most difficult. I believe this journey home was filled with a fear of rejection. I believe that his journey home was filled with the guilt and the shame of the things that he had done, the things that he had said. I believe that with every step, the burden that he was bearing got heavier and heavier upon his heart. Think about it. What if it was you? He must have been thinking, how will my father react to my return? How will my father respond to my return? When I get there, will he turn me away? When I get there, will he turn away? Will he not look at my face? Will he not listen to my words? I I want you to imagine what was going through this young man's mind after everything that he had did. Will will my father hurl wrath in my direction? Will he forgive me of what I did? Will I ever find restoration? Will I ever sit at his table again? Will I ever feel his embrace? Will I ever feel his kiss upon my face? I'm telling you, this is what was going on in this young man's mind. I can imagine the devil whispering every kind of false word into his ear as he made his way back to the father. Why are you going back there? He's not going to accept you. Why are you going back there? He doesn't love you. He's not going to accept your apology. He's not going to forgive you. You've shamed your family. You've insulted your father. You've gone too far. You see, the devil will do all that he can to keep you in your pig pen. 
He'll say whatever he has to to keep you in poverty, to keep you in personal pain. He'll say whatever he has to to keep you from being useful to the kingdom of God. And when you look at the return of the prodigal son, I promise you, the devil didn't sit by idly and let him let him just go back home to the father without any effort to keep him where he was. I can hear the devil saying there's nothing you can do to fix this. There's nothing you can do to make this right. It's not worth the embarrassment. Don't make your way home. Don't don't even bother. I can imagine him saying he doesn't love you anymore. He doesn't care about you anymore. He doesn't want you anymore. He'll do everything that he can to keep you from being useful. What do you think the number one reason for suicide is? I've got no purpose. I've got no place. I'm of no use. Why should I even live? It's exactly what the devil tries to do. He tries to keep you from being useful to the kingdom of God. It's what he wanted to happen in this young man's life. I will bet you along the way. I'm not a betting man. I shouldn't say that. I would think that along the way, he said, you'd be better to end your life right now than to make your way back to the father. Because no one is going to welcome you. He's not going to forgive you. I wonder, church, what was going on in this young man's mind as he made his way back to the Father and what a humbling experience it must have been. He must have rehearsed his lines a thousand times. What will I say? How will I say it? When you read the scripture, you see that he even rehearsed it while he was sitting in the pig pen. While he was sitting in the pig pen, he said, I will will say this when I go back to my father. He rehearsed his lines. I will go back to my father and I will say... I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like he was even in the pig pen. He was rehearsing his lines. He must have imagined a thousand different income or a thousand different outcomes to finally facing his father. And then as I start to bring this to a close, I wonder what happened when he finally came upon familiar territory. So it was a long journey. Remember, he was in a strange land. He was in a place that he had never even known before. But I wonder what happened when he finally came upon familiar territory What happened to his heart when he finally passed by the temple that he once worshipped at? I wonder what was going on in his mind and his heart when he went past the market that he bought at and sold at. I wonder what happened as he walked on the threshing floor where he used to sift the wheat from the chaff for his father. Or maybe when he went by an olive press where the priests would press out the oil to burn in the lampstand. He was exposed to all of those things. It was a righteous household. His father was a godly man. He knew all of these things. And I'm wondering what happened to his heart at that time, church. I wonder if tears began to flow because of the brokenness of his soul. I wonder if fear began to choke at his heart as he made his way back home. I wonder what imaginations began to run wild in his his mind. In the Greek, it says this. I can just imagine before I read the Greek, I can just imagine these things because I wasn't there. I can just imagine and and think about these things because I wasn't there. But I promise you that every single one of his fears vanished as soon as his father came running to him. The Bible tells us that when he finally made his way back to the father, that when the father saw him from a distance, he went running to him. And here's what I want you to understand. In the Greek, it says the father saw him from a distance and ran to him. He didn't wait. He didn't walk. The Bible says that this old man took off running towards his son. And he didn't stop in the Greek until he fell upon the neck of his son. Imagine that. This old man running as fast as he could. 
threw his arms around his son, put his head or his face to his son's neck and started to kiss all over him, wrapped his arms all around him, held on to him as tight as he can. He had compassion for his son, and he demonstrated his love towards him. He kissed him all over. He slobbered all over him. This is what the Greek says. He smothered him with kisses. And here's what I want you to please understand and remember. This young man was dirty. This young man was unclean and smelly. This this young man's clothes were tattered and torn. He was a poor representation of his father. Yet his father threw his arms around him. Yet his father pulled him close. Yet his father began to kiss him. Yet his father began to shed tears because his son had come home. I want you to understand church that he didn't make him take a shower. He didn't tell him to get all cleaned up. He didn't tell him that he was on probation. You and I need to understand that the father wrapped his arms around the son and he covered him with love. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's why. That's why. And in verse 22 and 24, and I know I'm going a little bit longer, but the father did exactly that. He put a robe on his son and he covered his sin and he covered his nakedness. He put a ring on his finger, church, establishing him as his son once again. He put a ring on his finger so that when that son walked through the city, everyone that saw him would know that the father received him back, that the father loved him, that the father welcomed him, that the father forgave him. He killed the fatted calf and he rejoiced because his son, the Bible says, was dead. But now he is alive. He was lost, but now he's found. He was blind, but now he sees. He was dead in sin, but now he was alive in Christ. Because this is the love of the Father, church. I want you to understand that this this story about the prodigal son isn't as much about the sin and the wickedness of this this young man. It's about the grace and the goodness of God. That's what it's more about. That no matter how far you and I have wandered, He's calling us home. And all He wants to do is slobber on you. All He wants to do is wrap His arms around you. All He wants to do is put a robe on you and cover up your nakedness. All He wants to do is put a royal ring on your finger and say, He or she belongs to me. I've forgiven them. I've washed them. I've made them white as snow. They are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. He sent His only Son. He killed the fatted calf. Jesus was the sacrifice. He demonstrated His love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, He died for us. We learned that, church. And all I want to tell you tonight is no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how low you think you've fallen, no matter what the devil has whispered in your ear, there may be someone here tonight that, 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 that the devil has said, you've gone too far, you've done too much, you're too dirty, you're too unclean, you've been too unfaithful to the Father. Don't bother coming back. Don't bother coming home. Don't bother. You're never going to be useful to the kingdom of God again. But all I want to tell you is no matter where you are, all God wants to do is smother you with kisses. All God wants to do is wrap His arms around you tonight and love on you if you're just willing to come. That's all the prodigal had to do. All he had to do was turn his back on the world and set his face to the Father. And the Father welcomed them. And the Father will welcome every single one of us tonight. So I'm simply going to ask this. If you can use some of God's love tonight, I want you to stand up. If you can use some of God's love tonight, if you could use a little smooching from the Father, 
I'm not ashamed to say that because this is our, he is our Abba Father. He is our daddy. And any of you that got kids and you love them, you're going to smooch all over them. We need to understand, listen, if you ever represent God in a different way than that, you're misrepresenting God. Even when you're reaching out to a wicked, lost world, if they do not feel like they can come back, you're misrepresenting God. If you speak a word to them that doesn't offer them hope at the end of your message, you're speaking the wrong word to them. Because everyone deserves to come home. Everyone deserves to be loved on. So tonight as we pray, here's all I'm asking. God, like I said in the beginning, all I want to be is a servant. We've gone through the prod, we've gone through this whole thing to end up right here. To say, God, everything I've learned, everything that is preached to me, I'm standing here tonight saying I'm coming to you to be loved on as your servant. And if that's your prayer, you pray with me and let's just confess it together to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your presence that's in this place tonight. But above everything else, God, I praise you and I worship you and I thank you for the awesomeness of your grace, for the awesomeness of your love, that love that reached down into the darkest places of our life and the dirtiest places of our life and the filthiest places of our life and and the places of our life where we've been the most unfaithful and you've called us home. God, I thank you that every time we're willing to return, you're going to run to us. And I, I pray tonight, God, that if there's anybody here that has wandered away, if there's anybody here, God, that has been lost in sin, they've been discouraged, they, they, they've just been walking in their own ways. If there's anyone here, God, that's just grown cold or complacent and they tonight want to make their way back home. I thank you that you're standing there with arms open wide and you're ready to run to us, God. I pray that you would smother us, God, with your love. Your word tells us that you lavished your love upon us in that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. So lavish your love upon us once again, church. I pray, God, that we would sense your presence and sense your spirit. I pray, God, that we would once again be useful to the kingdom of God. That we would become servants of the Most High God. That we would begin to do the things that we did at first, God. That we would return to our first love. God, that we wouldn't be lukewarm, God. That we wouldn't be cold, but that we would be hot. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would just stir us up on the inside. I pray, God, that you would rekindle, Father, our love for the Word. That you would rekindle rekindle our devotion to prayer, that you would rekindle, Father God, our spiritual disciplines. I pray, God, that you would just ignite a fire within us so that all of us at South Metro Ministries can experience revival, God, through the usefulness of your people. Let us not be selfish about our faith. Let us not just hold it to ourselves, but I pray that we would pour it out on those around us, oh God, so that revival would not just come to us here, but to everyone around us in our community, in our workplace, in this state, and in this world. We give you the praise and the glory. And the last thing I ask God is every seed that has been sown. I pray that it would find a fertile place in the soil of our soul. I pray that you would hem us in. That you would protect this word that has been spoken, Father God. That we would hide it in our hearts. That we would not sin against you. I pray this in Jesus' powerful, mighty, and holy name. And all of God's people said...
Amen. Can we just bless the Lord one more time, church? Amen. If you have special need, I'd be happy to.